Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. For more information, you can visit the Cinema Catch-Up Club's official Facebook page. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Or you can visit our website, thoughtjarproductions.com. This podcast is available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and we would really appreciate your subscriptions there, so pick your service of choice. For more information about this and other podcasts we produce, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. This week is a bit of a special episode. Uh, last week, we lost the extraordinary uh, physicist Stephen Hawking, who passed away at the age of 76. There have obviously been tributes for uh, Mr. Hawking all around the world, and he was a notable figure in the scientific community, influencing uh, not just physics, but also the way that we perceive science, the communication of science, and indeed, the way that we view scientists and disability. Stephen Hawking has been subject to many appearances in uh, such uh, comedies as The Simpsons and The Big Bang Theory and Family Guy, but also has been the subject of films himself, notably The Theory of Everything, which is the film that we are going to cover today. Joining me to review The Theory of Everything, we have, as always, one guest who has seen the film and one guest who has not. Our guest who has seen the film it's Scott McCardle. Hello. Welcome, Scott. How are you? I'm very well. Good. Thank you for asking. Ah, that's okay. And uh, just a reminder for the folks at home, who are you, Scott, and what do you do? Uh, so I am a Perth-based theatre maker. Um, I'm in my final year at Whopper as an uh, arts management student, but I uh, write and direct contemporary theatre, and I also uh, ran Improv D&D, which Stephen Platt was a part of yes. uh, for the past two years. Yes, it's tremendously good fun. A very, very capable dungeon master sat to my right. And uh, Scott, you've seen The Theory of Everything. I have. What, what do you think about this film? I adore it. I think it's so beautiful. Um, I, in the past couple years, I've actually been moving my practice to a... To, to writing real stories and, and, and about real people and particularly about real scientists and, mm-hmm. and physicists uh, last year in particular. Um, so this was before that for me and it's such a beautiful piece. I remember watching it, um, not in the cinema, I watched it at home when I, when I, I did with my partner, Rihanna. Um, and it's such an amazing, amazing movie by one of my favorite composers who we also lost this year. Yes, uh, Johan Johansson. Yeah, um, who I saw him live after after this after I saw this movie and he's an incredible composer and there are uh, two incredible actors Eddie Redmayne and Felicity Jones in this as well as David Fuelis who I have a soft spot for because mm. of Harry Potter. Um, it, it's it's such a special film um, that that touches on such a extraordinary life. Indeed, and uh, uh, I mean, do you have any particular thoughts on uh, Stephen Hawking? It's it's we're recording this. Uh, I think it's five days since he passed away. Uh, I mean, like like a lot of people, I was um, really upset the day he died. Uh, he he's an extraordinary mind, uh, an extraordinary survivor, and and had so much humour in him for someone who's had a lot of adversity. Um, but I think. We were so, so 
blessed uh, and, and privileged to have had him for as long as we did. Mm. I thought he contributed so much to the to the scientific canon of um of of our current day. Indeed. And joining us as the guest who has not seen this film, uh, it's Sarah Curtis, everybody. Hi. Uh, Sarah, just a reminder for the folks at home, who are you and what are you almost? (laughs) Uh, Well, I um, just submitted my PhD, so I'm almost a doctor. Woo! Woo! Uh, And I am a writer and performer around Perth. And uh, you've not seen The Theory of Everything? No, not yet. About to. Do you have any um, expectations about this film uh, prior to today? What had you heard about it? Uh, Well, basically, everything I'd heard was just them listening to Scott. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I I think I've seen the trailer and I remember thinking, oh, that looks like a movie I will enjoy. Um, It looks really beautiful. It looks really nice. Um, And it just never happened. It was always on my list and then life got in the way. And I sort of really wasn't watching movies a lot in the last couple of years because I was busy doctoring. Um, So I'm kind of excited to finally get there and finally see it. Um, And yeah, to sort of see what's what. I don't really know much about Stephen Hawking. You know, I know about all all of his appearances uh, in different things as himself, um, which I think is really cool. Uh, And, you know, having knowing a little bit about his work with science is fantastic and, um, you know, working through a disability which is also very inspiring um but also knowing that you know he's not a 100 percent perfect person um mm. and that there are aspects of his life which are probably problematic just like for all of us you know where no one's a perfect human being we all have problematic aspects in our life so you know it'll be good to see how that's portrayed in a film. Mm. I also haven't actually seen this film uh, at this stage, but one of the things I'm really looking forward to is seeing uh, what Eddie Redmayne does, because this is the Mm. film for which he won the uh, Best Actor Academy Award. Correct. And, um, you know, lots of, you know, generally when you win that, you've done a good job, uh, just just Mm. in general. And a lot of people have commented that this is a pretty outstanding performance from Mr. Redmayne. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, he's extraordinary. He's really extraordinary in it. Mm. Shall we watch the film? Yes. Sounds good. Okay, everybody, uh, pop in your DVDs and uh, everyone grab your chalkboards as we prepare to watch The Theory of Everything. And welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching The Theory of Everything. And by we, I, of course, mean Sarah Curtis... Yay! And Scott McArdle. Hola. And uh, guys, what did we think? We should probably start with Sarah, as this was your first time. Yeah. What What did you think of the theory of everything? I think it was a really beautiful film. Uh, I think I'm likely going to get very personal in this podcast this week. Mm-hmm. Um, just a you know pre warning. Um, okay. Because yeah, I related to a lot of stuff on screen. Okay. No, um, that's that's fair. Um, yeah. I mean, for my first viewing as well, I thought it was pretty enjoyable. I quite liked it. Scott, you've seen it before. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I think it's still as beautiful as the first time I saw it. Um, I think it's such an emotionally charged movie. Um, yeah, it's just, it's gorgeous in almost every aspect. Mm. It's it's a very, I mean, it's a very pretty film. There's there's, there's lots of, mm. um, obviously, very nice cinematography you would, you would expect from, you know, one of these Oscar contender films that it would, it would look beautiful. Um, I think the thing that just stands out, having just finished watching it, though, is um, the the performance of your two leads, uh, Eddie Redmayne and Felicity Jones, who were in 
giving two very uh, different types of performance, but both of them are absolutely fantastic. Mm. Yeah, I think it was like the like I think they both got nominated for for uh, best actor and best actress at the Academy Awards, if I if I recall, because um, I barracked for both of them. I I really love both of them in this film immensely. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting one because we're we're seeing essentially the life of this relationship between uh, Stephen and Jane Hawking, um, where you know we see them meet, we see them fall in love, we see them get married and have kids, dealing with all the uh, difficulties of um, Stephen's disease, uh, and then of course we see that relationship break down as well. Uh, mm. First with uh, the introduction of of Jonathan, who uh, we, Jane develops feelings for, and then later when uh, Elaine meets Stephen, and Stephen ends up basically divorcing Jane to go marry Elaine. Um, it's it's, and it's it's interesting where I don't at least I I felt as a viewer, I never really felt as though, not that anyone wasn't in the wrong, but just that I, everyone's decisions made sense, I guess. It felt real. Yeah, and well, it's based on a real thing. I think that, but, but it partly but helps. They they often get it wrong though. But yeah, that's just it. It felt real, um, which it I felt, think it is, had a real sense of authenticity. Yeah, and all all those things, I, I suppose, kind of they just made sense. They made sense, and they they clicked. I guess they weren't trying mm. to judge anyone for what mm. was going on because a lot of the you know life of someone films they pick a perspective, and anyone who is not within that perspective they tend to judge as being wrong. But this sort of felt a bit more balanced and a bit more, well, this is what went on, you decide. Yeah, it's really interesting because for the first half, um, probably up to where he receives his doctorate, it really feels like Stephen's story. But then for me, after that, it becomes Jane's story. Mm -hmm. Um, When they transition to family life a bit more, I, I use the doctorate moment because then we have the... We go into family life and his accomplishments kind of take a little bit of a backseat the science of it takes a little bit of a backseat yeah they kind um, of happen to be happening in the background yeah it, it becomes a bit more family life and um focused on on that which was a side to him that we did not see um yeah well i mean public yeah in, in reality obviously stephen hawking himself was reasonably private mm. um and it was for me I, I found it was just a really fascinating insight into seeing how how somebody uh, like Stephen Hawking was dealing with uh, basically being diagnosed with motor neuron disease and mm. you know seeing this person who is clearly uh, a very bright and brilliant young uh, scientist being told ah yeah but you, you've only got two years to live um, and obviously f- discovering that the brain is still going to work uh, it's just that the body around the brain is, is collapsing and then seeing how essentially he adapted to that and was still able to continue, I guess, and, and live, well, we now know, uh, basically a full life mm. uh, as, a, as a working uh, and very successful uh, cosmologist, as a, as a physicist. Um, it, it's interesting because the film starts uh, in Cambridge in 1963, and um, it was, I wasn't exactly enamoured with the beginning. Uh, it took me a little while to get into it. When we first meet them, they're at a party in 1963 in Cambridge, and there's the the creepy kid from Doctor Who, uh, who's his friend Brian. Uh, creepy. Well, yeah, he's the creepy, you know, uh, ch- children of Brains. blood. Brains. Except he doesn't do the Bane voice. Yeah, he doesn't do it, but he's he's you know he's the children of blood uh, scarecrow guy, you know. Yeah. It's and but and playing essentially 
another English academic. Um, he has such nice a great moment, though. He mm. has such a beautiful moment when he finds out. Oh, yeah. Stephen tells him. For me, that is like one of the top three emotional moments of the piece. Mm. We don't even know that much. He just really pulls out the acting guns. He really does. Um, yeah, the character of Brian. Uh, and I, I really like how Brian it kind of never really changes with the exception of that moment. It, it's sort of, he's constantly thinking about sex. Um, you know, when, when... Good on you, Brian. Yeah, when, <laughs> when, when he and Stephen are celebrating after he gets his PhD, which we'll get to in a bit, Sarah. Um, you know, he asks him, you know how they say everything doesn't work? Yeah, well, does that mean everything? And he's like... I think it's a question we all had, though. Yeah, well, I mean... Answered by the fact that he had children. <laughs> yeah, true. But it's it's still really, I think, quite nice that they address that in, in that way. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was... And I think this film is full of lovely just really lovely uh friendships and relationships between people there's there's not a big amount of antagonism most of it seems to come from steven's parents in this film um but again that's something that's born out of uh love and for for their child who is who is dying you know and they're they're obviously uh scared and fearful for yeah yeah it's interesting i think i think i think mom and dad hawkins are, Mm. are a little bit on the money a lot of the time though like I think they're both very aware of of Jonathan as a I don't know as a as a turning point as an obstacle for the family mm. um, maybe as a threat yeah definitely as a threat and as something uh, that yeah I mean I mean it's interesting because it it, it looks at priorities of people who are sick and people who have um, illnesses and terminal illnesses and what is the priority in in life and what an affair what can that do to someone suffering a terminal illness um will it affect them mentally that then affects their health is like you can totally see where their care comes from especially in how like abruptly his father and his mother approaches um uh Stephen and jane respectively Mm. they're interesting moments um it feels like this whole movie does what an amazing uh true story uh, what all what all the best true stories do, which is humanize someone who has been such a high profile figure that they seem almost godlike. They are this idol, mm. and really goes into detail and humanizes them in ways that, um, like Hamilton does. For I'm I'm just looking at a Hamilton <laughs> book across across from me. Mm. Um, humanizes these these people and and helps further helps you connect further with with people throughout history and, yeah, and makes, the rest of your race it makes you realize that your hero is a human too and yeah. that's with all the the good things the bad things they have failings but you know their decisions aren't necessarily you know i'm going to go and be famous or i'm going to do this out of spite it's like no this is something that happened just like things happen in your own lives and i don't know if you felt this sarah uh, as a first-time viewer as well but i felt that um a big part of that humanizing was seeing how the motor neuron disease um, affected uh, Stephen over his life, uh, and you know he, got, you know, we see him going from a relatively fit-looking, healthy human being to having to walk with a cane, to having to walk with two canes, to the wheelchair, and then for me, when he started choking the first time, um, when he was in the visiting his parents uh, in the wheelchair, and Jane's there slapping him on the back to stop him choking, and all the spit comes out, and it's, it's kind of. It's very affecting, I I felt. Well, it's also true. I mean, that's what does happen. And the way she said, oh, this has been happening in a very matter-of-fact way. Um, You know, that that is how that sort of thing goes when you have a debilitating disease. 
and it just becomes a fact of life. And yeah, I am talking from experience in my family um, where I've had family members with you know, horrible illnesses and it does sort of become something that either you just go, yep, this is how it is. This is life now. And you accept it and, you know, you, you find the humor in the situation or you do go mad and it becomes horrific and you can't live with it. Mm. It's, yeah. And I, 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 I think this is a really good point to talk about the fact that this is a film for which Eddie Redmayne did win that Academy Award. Mm. Um, Very well deserved. I, yeah, I think it kind of, ha- you kind of have to say it is because it's, it's, it, it's one of those things where a lot of people criticize uh, things like method acting, where people try and inhibit the character, oh, sorry, inhabit the character, um, and maybe just sort of become that character and go too far. But I think with the the way that um, Eddie Redmayne physicalized the the way that the disease progressed. Um, and it can't have been comfortable for him uh, nice. doing that, that neck. Oh my but, god! But it's fantastic, and I think it—it's it, really interesting seeing, you know, seeing this uh, able-bodied, uh, healthy man uh, perform, and, and be able to perform all the various stages of of having this this disease, and it's it's brilliant. He's really yeah, good. It's it's pretty incredible. I and I remember them getting like a little bit of heat before the movie about a uh, um, why not cast someone who has murder neuron disease and and obviously they they don't because they show him from before mm. the disease is taken over and and um uh it, it's harder for someone with the disease to to as horrible as it is to act able-bodied yeah. um and to show all the stages yeah like they're, when, when they're in the one stage yeah it, it's is really difficult um and i think eddie redmayne uh is is incredible and that there's one moment the or he's watching everyone eat yeah mm. at the dinner table after he's gotten his doctorate um and it just makes you so realize a, a fraction of what he's going through in it, for a moment you empathize and you think that he's seeing that and going through his head is this that he used to be able to do that it, and it's something so simple that becomes such a gargantuan task for him mm. um that it, it's it's so horrifically depressing mm. um and you think that you think that with someone like Stephen Hawking that he just learned to deal with it, but he mm. just such a hard life, such a hard thing to adapt to. Um, that, yeah, it, it makes it even more incredible the things he achieved, um, considering uh, how much he struggled with everyday things, realistically, mm. um, is, is just incredible. It sure is. And um, I just want to touch on as well, just going through my notes for this. Um, obviously, we have a lot of focus on 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 uh steven we don't really have as you said earlier a massive focus on the actual science Mm. it's it's sort of it's briefly touched on it's almost sort of like dot points i guess just kind of going oh this is this is why you're coming to see this film in the first place here's five minutes of just basic astrophysics theories that were developed um but we're going to use potatoes and peas to explain it which i thought was a really good way of communicating um the the differences between general relativity and, and quantum mechanics. Um, but at the same time, I was surprised by how, I guess, science light this script was. Mm. I was very much coming in expecting a lot of science. Uh, and just to have it in sort of like a peripheral thing was very much, oh, okay, so that's not what this is about then. But but also, I suppose, given that the source text is Jane Hawking's uh, biography, it, mm. it's taken from her perspective. Uh, and as you said, the film very much becomes 
almost from Jane's perspective, once we get beyond the initial success that Stephen has in his in his career as a physicist, um, I, maybe that makes sense that we see less of that. But I, I, it just it just felt weird. Uh, I I actually really like it. I like how science light it is. I think it, narratively it's a very smart decision because mm. realistically this isn't a movie for physicists. Mm. Uh, it's for a general public. It, it, it really is appealing to such a wide audience who want to know more about the man and then uh, and 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 his relationships with his family um, because there's so much of his science out there. Yeah, if you, you want to know, know about it, go read a book. There's so much. So yeah. I think it's so good that we get this opposing view that has a little bit of an introduction to it. And then if people are more interested, they go and read A Brief History of Time, like yeah. the, the, one of the best-selling books of all time. Um, try to get through it because it is, is it, it is a dense read. So I, I think it makes it a really accessible movie. Um and I think it's interesting what we define Stephen Hawking by his um, his incredible scientific achievements or um, his his obstacles that he faced. And I think it focuses on rightly the, the disease more than anything and the effect mm-hmm. it can have on it on on a family and on people, um, which is not necessarily something he talks about in his book. So I think that it tackles the the more incredible part of him. Mm. There's been so many geniuses throughout history, but Stephen Hawking quite stands above them all through the fact that he just defied every single odd against him. He had to travel further to go down the genius road. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, it's partly also due to the time period in which he lived, that there was better capacity for people to care for people with diseases like this. Had, you know, had Albert Einstein developed a similar disease when he was 21, he, almost certainly wouldn't have lived to a point where he made the theories that he did. Yeah. Um, but it, even this, in spite of that, it is it is a pretty incredible achieve, achievement what, what Hawking managed to do. Um, so we, we see in the film, they get married, uh, they have uh, a couple of kids, uh, you know, it's all, it's all quite nice. We see him uh, be given a wheelchair. That's not long after, in fact, it's the scene after the dinner party scene where he's mm. on the stairs and he's struggling to climb them. And we see Jane just, pop down a wheelchair in the kitchen um, and he, you know, manoeuvres himself into it and then says it's only temporary. And it's, again, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking because obviously as a viewer, you're watching it and going, oh, no, Stephen, that's, that's, that's pretty much it. That's you. And- that's the sort of thing you have to tell yourself you yeah. know, when you go into a new stage of illness. You know, you have to tell yourself, even if you know deep down that it's something that's going to be permanent. No, this is not an obstacle forever this is something that i can overcome this is something that i can work with work through whatever you have to say to get to the next point hmm. yeah, true but yeah it, it, i mean it still for me at least didn't stop me going oh that's really sad i i, I, I want you to be able to walk again well I that's guess. the thing it is sad that you have to say that kind of thing to yourself that hmm. you have to make those compromises you know you shouldn't have to make those compromises in life and yet people do hmm uh, and then we see that develop as the film goes on. Um, they move house so that they're somewhere without stairs, uh, which was probably a good move. Mm. Um, they also get uh, Stephen his first electric wheelchair. I really liked having the kids on the chair, revealing that to him. I thought that was quite mm. quite sweet. Whether or not that was what actually happened, it was just nice to incorporate that family element and to see, again, something that you don't normally see. You see Stephen Hawking as the, the family man, as the father in this... Um, you know almost almost sort of nuclear family with the 2.4 kids um and then we are introduced to the character of jonathan uh jane has obviously been caring for stephen for a while she's now also caring for uh two children as well 
and it's starting to get a bit much and she's got no time to herself and her mother uh, very sagely says go sing in the church choir just go do something that isn't looking after the rest of the family and just have an hour for yourself and she goes and she meets uh, Jonathan Jones who is running the choir and um, Jonathan very swiftly becomes part of the family and uh, played by of course uh, Charlie Cox Mr Daredevil himself yeah <laughs> uh, but I, I I thought it was interesting because I, I coming into this I didn't actually know anything about Jonathan Jones I didn't know that um, he he would end up becoming uh, Jane's uh, second husband mm. um, and I, I how did you feel when we, when we first met Jonathan Sarah well at first it's sort of had that usual sort of oh here's the dangerous relationship complication feel to it mm. but then as he sort of integrated with the family it became a Here's someone who we really care about and who they really care about, who, you know, it's not so much a complication as, you know, this is a an organic relationship that you're seeing. Hmm. I think, yeah, his love for um, Stephen becomes really evident as well and such mm. an integral part, uh, I think. They have the dinner party where obviously uh, Jonathan tries to feed Stephen yeah. uh, misguidedly, but then they have a, a moment where they—it's just Stephen and Jonathan sitting outside—that um, I think is really love. And Jonathan talks about his first wife uh, dying, um, and I think in that moment you realise this won't just be uh, her, someone for her, someone for Jane. Mm. Um, and I think from, I think the movie shows its its strength and being based on on fact um by subverting narrative tropes that you expect yeah mm. and and then you have those that lovely beach montage with the whole family yeah when there's he... even even a moment where, where steven's lying on jonathan mm. and it's really it's really quite tender and really quite friendly and, um mm. it's it's beautiful you have a lot it, of sympathy for him it is and it's really i think it's really well put together it's very well uh, performed obviously by by mr cox and um yeah, when he becomes essentially the family's first uh, support, he becomes that first carer. Um, mm. it, it it is really really lovely, and it's it's the sort of thing that you know it takes the burden off Jane. It means that the kids have someone else to play with and and have fun times with. It's someone else for Stephen to talk to. We even see uh, Jonathan lifting Stephen off the toilet at one point, and mm. it's just like you know it was really lovely, and it was all coming together. And then uh, Jane has her third child, Timothy. Um, and that creates some problems because there are some people who don't think uh, that Stephen is capable of having children and that obviously it must be Jonathan's baby. Um, and we see, you know, the fact that Frank, um, Stephen's dad, comes over and is basically like, you need to get a new, you need to get a new nanny. This is not acceptable. And then we, we see his mum basically go into the kitchen and go, essentially, you know, why are you sleeping with Jonathan? <laughs> to... Yeah, we have a right to know whose child yeah, it is. So, um, so English. It's just, oh, it hurts. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it, I, I really like that saying. I think it, I think it has the, it is a turning point required in the narrative there of what's going to happen here. Mm. Um, and I think it sets us up for balance coming with elaine yeah mm. i think it i think it provides balance mm. uh and i think coming from jane's autobiography um i i, I think it's it, it provides us that we're in safe hands we're in honest hands mm. um and that there's not a lot of bias happening i also really like that jonathan and jane never lie to each other about those feelings um as soon mm. as it becomes evident that 
him being there's a problem to Jonathan. He tries to remove himself from the, from the situation, but also does say to Jane, you know, that I have feelings for you. And she very quickly looks around, sees no one's near, and says, I have feelings for you too. And I wasn't expecting that as a viewer. I was like, oh, oh, oh okay, nice. Like, you know, as in, like, narratively, like, you're right. It, it, it flows, and it sets up that, that honesty for the fact that J- Jane and Stephen are very honest with each other as for the majority of the way this film goes. I mean, this might not be true of what their real life was like at all, but in terms of their film as it's being presented on screen, um, they are they, they are very honest to one another. Hmm. To, to the point where when they realise that the relationship's broken down, Jane even says, I have loved you, which hmm. is just, just heartbreaking. It was... It's a beautiful relationship from start to end um, and a beautiful uh companionship and even at the end i think she used the word companion in the final scene mm. well it's because he got a um a companion of honor yeah. medal from the queen but it's, it's still quite a good way yeah. to describe what they are mm. um yeah it, it's it's quite beautiful mm. um their pairing and their their friendship and their and and her her strength um which i think he without her in the early days i wouldn't he he probably would have passed much sooner yeah he has i think her strength um he relied on it a lot to achieve what he achieved Mm. to have that freedom um and that support and i think ultimately that's why at the end of the film it's jane that he takes to Mm. to meet the queen when he gets that that award and and well we don't see elaine there so we we can assume that maybe she wasn't invited her in hell (laughs) elaine's not that bad you know, I think I, I do think it's interesting how Elaine is painted in this film. Yeah, she's very different from everyone else. Yeah, she's very brief. She's yes. got some some real sort of home wrecker vibes coming off her, which you don't get with Jonathan, and that's that's part, partly because Jonathan. I, I suppose again, if, if if this if this has been taken from Jane's story, she's going to have a more positive opinion of of her second totally. husband than mm. Stephen's second wife. Yeah, especially considering, you know, the intimacy of the relationship with Jonathan and everyone. And Mm. then Elaine comes in and is very much, I'm in control now. You're the wife or you're in the other room and we're closing the doors. And we're not ready for you to be in this room right now. Go away. And the fact that when Jane had uh, her affair, um, she remained in the marriage and and remained strong after that. But when Stephen has an affair, he just divorces after after forty years. So so I mean, from Jane's perspective, you can you can see how Elaine would be the home wrecker that Jonathan isn't. Yeah. Um. But I think that comes down to the strength of the person in the marriage, not necessarily the the third party. Mm. Um. And I think it goes further to show Jane's strength compared to Stephen's strength. True. Mm. Well, also he wasn't able to communicate in so many ways. You know, he had a mm. lot of his agency taken from him. So there were times when, you know, people would just sort of like pick him up and without even asking or, you know, there were little moments where he wasn't given an option mm. um, to communicate whether he wanted something or not. And part of the reason he lost some of his communication, although it was to save his life, was when... Was her. Yeah, it was Jane saying... Yeah. Yeah, have the tracheotomy. You know, she's speaking to uh, former France World Cup winning defender Frank LeBeuf playing one of the doctors. You my love favorite. that so much. I, I, I love uh, people in football. My other great love is football. Uh, appearing in films. You know, in the third Star Trek film, uh, former AC Milan manager Carlo Ancelotti is one of the medics. 
you will maybe notice him as just an old white guy, but a lot of people recognize him as a European Cup winning player and manager. So <laughs> you kick that ball. Yeah. Oh, when we get to the Eric Cantona films. Oh boy, I can't wait. Um, but yeah, so they have the tracheotomy. Um, Stephen is obviously very frustrated with that and he's had uh, his, his voice taken away. Obviously, he then later gets his voice provided by, obviously, the real Stephen Hawking, provided by his um, copyrighted um, voice technology, I guess. It's very particular synthesized voice. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, it's an interesting one what we're talking about those relationships because it's for, for from steven's perspective I, I do wonder if maybe part of the reason why he fell in love with elaine was because for him a relationship is about the care that he receives because it was indicated at the start of the film when he's a healthy young man he wasn't really someone that was in relationships he gets into a relationship with jane around the same time that his disease kicks in and so because of that the only relationship he's known with Jane has been of like several decades of just receiving care. Mm. It becomes too much for her and they get in somebody else to perform that care. And, you know, when, when Jonathan comes in and performs that care, they form a, you know, a strong friendship and a bond, even if it's not a romantic relationship. And then you bring in Elaine who becomes his sole care provider. And maybe that's, I'm just thinking potentially. Well, it also seems to be like the sense of humor she has about it. You know, um, because Jane has been there for so long, they've sort of lost a lot of mm. the humorous side of things. And so now there's this fresh take and someone going in, oh, you know, you're so intelligent. You're so good the way you're handling this. And like, let's mm. be a bit cheeky right now, which Jane probably didn't do as much anymore. She strokes his ego a lot. I yeah. think it's a celebrity at this stage. And she she does. And, and Jane sees the warning signs in that first scene. Yeah. Um, uh, and and Elaine is very much a fangirl of 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 this man, and and who doesn't love to be praised, and and yeah. and she she even says the the phrase to Jane, "You must um worship uh, the ground beneath," and Jane says, "His wheels." And Jane Jane's very practical about it. She's been there from before. He was a superstar back when he was he was um like just like doing an hour of study a a, a day. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas Elaine's come to, to him. Mm-hmm. Elaine's come to him when he's a best selling. Um, genius. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think it's refreshing for Stephen. Um, you can't necessarily begrudge him that. I think. Um, mm. It's certainly, you know, I, I, I certainly a lot of people um, would look at this and kind of go, yeah, but you know, he cheated on his wife. But it, it's almost, I, I think, to look at it that simply, given the narrative that we've been presented here uh, within this film, would be doing it a disservice. You know, it's not saying yes, everyone go out and have an affair, but it's more. I just feel as though I understand why that relationship developed the way it did. Mm. In in a way, Elaine could be viewed as Stephen Hawking's midlife crisis that he never expected to get to. Yeah, um, like a, yeah and instead of a getting racing wheelchair, yeah, a racing wheelchair with stripes down the side. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's so you know he ends up saying, "I'm going to take Elaine to America with me on this tour." That's where the marriage essentially ends between himself and Jane. Uh, Jane reconnects with Jonathan, and they they end up getting married. Uh, we have the conference sequence at the end where um, we see Stephen have the see the pen drop and just have that quick dream of him being able to stand up and pick up the pen and give it to the lady that dropped it. Um, and that hope that he speaks about in that yeah. um, in that very famous speech um, where he where he does talk about hope and, and everyone gets on their feet and stand and he still has hope, um, which I mean beautifully you see 
achieve later when he goes to when he has the zero gravity experience um, oh yeah yeah uh, which was which is beautiful mm. so yeah and then obviously it ends where they go to the queen and have a nice afternoon with the queen and they see their three children now a bit more grown up and Stephen and jane are there and they're saying you know look at what we created um mm. which is just it's just a really nice way to end that film where it is a mm. film about about this relationship ultimately um yeah yeah it's 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 lovely because we know what he's created, yeah. What he's done on his own, but yeah, I think his his pride comes from from his family. At mm. the end, there is the final message that they they give there. I mean, I can't wait to see Eddie Redmayne re- relive the role on the Crown. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, don't season... know. I don't know. I oh, hope... no, I'm sure season four of the Crown they can get him in for five minutes as as oh, Stephen Hawking. I'm it'd sure be, it'd be nice. Yeah. So ultimately, you enjoyed the films, Sarah. Yeah, I think I did. I mean, obviously, I'm also watching it from the perspective of someone who has um, been in a household, you know, with a caregiver and with someone wheelchair bound, um, as well as having, you know, lots of illnesses myself, which are completely different, Um, but still, you know, having that struggle. So watching someone else's struggle be portrayed in that way, um, you know, very much was touching. Excellent. Yeah. And it's it's a perfectly enjoyable, uh, and I would say pretty well put together film um i do have to agree with you scott because before this we were talking about uh the recently departed johan johansson's music mm. it's beautiful mm. it's it's i think it's his best work i um i'm i've been the biggest fan of johan johansson for probably since this movie actually it was probably the first time i kind of went what an incredible soundtrack for his work um and then obviously he did arrival sicario and he has some amazing work um uh, which is too much to go into, um, and it's it's hard to listen to it. It's hard to. I mean, I the when I wrote um, Leica last year and spent a, a year writing that, I, I all I listened to was this soundtrack because uh, it was all about science and innovation and and creativity. Um, so for me, it was the obvious soundtrack to listen to while I wrote. Mm. Um, so I linked them quite heavily, and it's it's incredible work. Um, from start to finish, what he does is is amazing in this film. I do have one bone to pick about this film, though. Okay, let's. Okay. Here's the bone. Pick it's, it. It's the PhD sequence. Ah, yes, yeah. we were going to get. We to were going to get back to this. Okay, so in this film, Stephen Hawking walks in. They go, "Chapter one's not great. Chapter two is not great. Chapter three is derivative, but chapter four is brilliant. You're a doctor. Well done." Is that how it works, Sarah? That's totally not how it works. <laughs> Did you do a PhD in physicist? <laughs> Physics? <laughs> physicists. <laughs> yes, it's all about physicists. All about the physicists. Yeah, I wrote a play about physicists. I love that scene, though. Hmm. It's that, a great scene. It's so inspiring when, when he's like, superb work, Stephen. Just frankly brilliant. It's like, oh, yeah, he's the best. <laughs> it's, it's a lovely cinematic scene, but yeah. totally not how it works oh. as someone who just went through this whole PhD process. Well, as someone who's in the middle of one, I'm very disappointed to learn that it won't be like that. Yeah, yeah. When you go into a room in front of a panel of judges, you have to like defend yourself for at least an hour and your work, and they don't sit there going, "This was all rubbish except for this one thing." Therefore, you're fine. No, if everything else was rubbish, you have to fix that. Mm. The movie's only two hours long, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the rest of the movie is about him slowly picking through his work and like fixing those holes in chapter one. Mm. But okay, no, it's it's good to know. I'm. Not looking forward to my eventual PhD review in the slightest. <laughs> hey, we have it easy. At least ours isn't a defense. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's a pre-submission seminar. Mm. Moving swiftly on before <laughs> everyone falls asleep, would you like some trivia? Yes, please. 
Okay. Uh, the first bit of trivia uh, Scott actually uh, discussed uh, before we started recording this one. Yeah. Um, in an email to the director, James Marsh, about uh, the portrayal of Stephen Hawking, uh, Stephen Hawking said oh, that yeah. there were certain points when he was watching Eddie Redmayne that he thought he was watching himself. That's I, insane. Yeah. I, I don't, That's insane. <laughs> I don't think the praise gets any higher. Oh, my God. That Yeah, that the guy... Oh, my God. That's mm. insane. I mean, it was fantastic. And, like, at one point, yeah. the scene where um, uh, Elaine has been shaving Stephen and he's he's just holding his lips in a particular position and they look quite different from what they have been previously in the film. Um, and it for me, it was just that moment of going, oh, my... He really really looks like him at this point um it's but i'm sure there's lots of different points throughout the film where the divorce point where he's crying yeah for me is like total facial embodiment yeah of of an incredible incredible feeling um that he yeah he just acts the shit out of it Mm. it's it's wonderful but yeah just to get just to get that that praise i'm sure you'd be looking at your (sighs) eddie's looking at his oscar on his shelf throws it out the window yeah just going uh I did good there. Yeah, don't need this anymore. You did good, yeah. Redmayne. Um, in addition to his copyrighted voice, Stephen Hawking also lent the filmmakers his Companion of Honor medal and oh, his cool. signed thesis they used as props in the film. Nice. First four chapters are rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> Ignore those. Uh, Eddie Redmayne also then met with Stephen Hawking uh, before filming, but he only met him once. Yeah, he, it wasn't it wasn't for a long amount of time. Like uh, Stephen Hawking just barely spoke or something. Like yeah. they, they they barely discussed anything of merit. In the uh, well, a quote that I have before me from Redmayne says, "In the three hours I spent with him, he said maybe eight sentences. I just didn't feel like I could ask him intimate things." Um, so. Eddie Redmayne had to go about it a different way. Uh, so he found other ways to prepare for the role. He lost 15 pounds and trained for four months with a dancer to learn how to control his body. He That's met pretty cool. He met 40 um, ALS patients, kept a chart tracking the order in which Hawking's muscles declined, and stood in front of a mirror for hours on end contorting his face. Uh, lastly, he remained motionless and hunched over between takes, so much so that an osteopath told him he had altered the alignment of his spine. So... Uh, yeah, good work there. That was the method acting thing I was discussing that was, before. That was, that was when he looked at all the new scripts he was being offered and he said, oh, yeah. Harry Potter. I'm yeah. going to do a Harry Potter. That'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. Does Newt Scamander have any uh, back issues? Nope. Great. Let's go with you that. Can see you can kind of see Newt how he, he like, yeah. his head is slightly down <laughs> and tilted, Stephen Hawking style. Mm. Oh, my God. He's so good in that as well. He's mm. so good. He's such a good actor. Mm. Stephen Hawking also commented on the film saying that it was broadly true, which I think is... Pretty right. much, pretty much what you want from one of the concerned parties. Broadly true. <laughs> and all like you know the main points. The yeah. doctorate bit that wasn't true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the one bit. The screenwriter Anthony McCartan spent nearly three years convincing the real life Jane Hawking to agree to the film adaptation of a book. Um, I think they did a good job, though. I, I, I mean, I'm not yeah. Jane Hawking. I can't say for whether or not that I'd feel comfortable with it. But obviously, they they got it to a point where she was like yes no you guys obviously respect this story enough go ahead and make it yeah it's the sort of thing where you want someone to respect your life and you also kind of want to be at an age where you know you, you don't give a shit anymore you know where where you no longer fear someone like walking down the street and talking about this intimate part of your life that mm. is should be private i can't believe you use peas and potatoes to explain that theory jane that yeah absolutely that yeah, bit. i thought it was a really good way of doing it well so did i but everyone's a critic scott <laughs> Like Stephen Hawking, Eddie Redmayne also attended the University of Cambridge. So, you know. 
so two jealous. Cambridge bros. I had a friend who, and they touch on it briefly in a joke in the movie, I had a friend who was like convinced that Stephen Hawking was American. Mm. And I was like, no, like he's British. And he was like, yeah, but he sounds American. And I was like, that's not his voice. <laughs> it's a machine. <laughs> Although I do like that that's the first reaction to the to the voice when in this film. Jane goes, he sounds American. Oh, can we fix that? <laughs> Which is, I relate they to that. never did. So hard. Well, you know. He, well, you get used to it. It, it yeah. would just become his voice after mm. years of hearing it. And I do, I must admit, as, as a viewer watching this film who knows what the uh, the 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 famous Stephen Hawking sounds like with that synthesized voice mm. it was slightly reassuring when that voice came back in um I miss his I miss his youthful sprightfulness in yeah, his voice yeah his general shit talking <laughs> what a little shit story he was at university mm. I love the story about how he got his first class how did he get his first class where um it's a story he's telling here on the stairs, but I read it years ago as well. Um, when I was just reading a bunch of his stuff uh, years ago, a year ago, um, where he was at um, he was at Oxford, and um, he was on the borderline of first or second class. We had to come in and and do like an oral uh, it, to the, to a panel um, to defend it, and he he simply said, um, "If you get me, if you give me a second class, I'll stay here, but if you give me a first class." I'll go to Cambridge and do my PhD and you won't have to put up with me. And they gave him a first class mm. so that they wouldn't have to put up with him. That's how you do it. Sneaky That says shit. a lot about him. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm. yeah. He's such a sneaky little shit. Um, Eddie Redmayne is, of course, good friends with uh, other actor and uh, syllable consumer Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, Cumberbatch. Yeah, who also played Stephen Hawking in a TV film uh, of Hawking's life that the BBC made in 2004, uh, simply called Hawking. Um, so made 10 years previously. Uh, I had actually seen that one. I hadn't, I hadn't mm. seen Theory of Everything, but I'd seen Hawking. And they're, they're quite similar. Um, I mean, yeah. th- this one definitely focuses a lot more on the relationship with Jane and Jane as a character. The Hawking one, as it's named Hawking, and um, it, it was very much focused on him. It, it, the, the focus of that film is more about how he developed the theory uh, and doesn't really cover the later life stuff like the, Elaine. The theory of what? The theory the... of everything, funnily enough. Oh, <laughs> um, you're calling it the theory of some things. Yeah. The, <laughs> the theory of uh, most of the stuff. But yeah, um, that, that, that was actually a really nice... Um, adaption a really nice film as well but um focusing on very different things i'm I'm not entirely sure if it's entirely fair to compare them but uh cumberbatch's performance in that was pretty excellent although he didn't have to go uh, i I don't think i might be remembering this wrong because it's been a few years i don't think we got to the point where stephen hawking was in a wheelchair with a voice synthesizer in in his film no it was very much early life stephen hawking but uh still still a very good film and of course um eddie redmayne won the oscar uh, over Cumberbatch in the same year uh, for, what, uh, it, it, yeah the, the Alan enig- Turing yeah the um, another the, British the genius. Enigma Code what, uh, the, the Imitation the, Game the Imitation Game about the Enigma, enigma code. Machine yeah yeah. yeah 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 so there you go but then Cumberbatch probably sitting there just <laughs> as Eddie's getting the award going well I did it better oh. but he didn't no Redman no. does it so well he's fantastic uh, Felicity Jones uh, who it took me far too long to recognise was Jin Erso from uh, Rogue One. Uh, Look, was... you'd, you'd be f- you'd be forgiven to strike it from your memory, Stephen. Okay. Screwed. I should say that sat to my left is Sarah, Rogue One's biggest fan, and sat to my right is Scott McArdle, who is not Rogue One's biggest fan. Um, and second biggest fan. Ooh, 
I, I no, think no, no, <laughs> no. I mean, glared at so much is the best. Yeah, Jane Hawking herself uh, requested that they don't film anything where she and Stephen were making love on screen. Uh, her request was yeah. yeah. Her request was honoured, and uh, it's no more than alluded to in the finished film. See, I quite like the way they did that. That seemed very natural to me. Like something that really bugs me about a lot of movies is just how much uh, sex scenes just stop the action. Like, there's no point in them doing this. Why? It, why are we watching this? It's very like, prudish. just you know, just yes. like sure, allude to it. It happened. Move on. Yeah. We've got three kids there. You know, we, we know it happened at least twice. Um, but mm. yes. Uh, and finally, Adam Goodley, uh, who played the doctor who told um, Eddie Redmayne's uh, Hawking that uh, he, he was going to die in two years. The liar. Played his father in the Benedict Cumberbatch version. So, yeah. yeah I'm just waiting for a, another adaption and who he's going to play in, in the next one. The doctor. Yeah. Um yeah, that, that scene, that hospital scene is just when they show the spinal fluid coming out yeah. and it's just so lonely. I was kind of like, where's his parents? Where's Jane? And then obviously you get the next bits where, right, that's that's harrowing. It's such a such a really difficult 15 minutes to get through. For me, I think it's the best 15 minutes from like where he falls uh, to to when she says, I love you. Yeah. Mm. Is like the best 15 minutes in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's certainly uh, compelling, mm. uh, and I really like the way the hospital sequence is shot. Where it's not well, it's not the same as everything else. It's almost as though the frame rate is slightly different, or the the perspectives. It, it's not. It's quite flat. Everything, yeah, because it's all they're all like square rooms. Everything's quite yeah. this hard lines. It's very flat. It's very lonely. Very cold. And the the doctor when he's telling him that he has uh, motor neuron disease. Um, seems almost too in focus. Mm. I, I don't know quite what they did there, but it's fantastic. It's very... Well, that's kind of what happens. I mean, I've spent a lot of time with doctors mm. and in hospitals and in, you know, as a patient, in all, talking to a lot of doctors. And I find that sort of like ultra focus does tend to happen where, you know, the doctor is in front of me talking and like all I'll be able to see is their shape. I, everything else is just a blur mm. around me as I'm focusing in on what they're saying and what they're telling me usually bullshit and you know just trying to sort of process what's going on i mean yeah it's the brain it's the brain diverting almost attention away from Mm. from stuff like your senses to to Mm. to processing what you're being told as an audience member i found that very um very interesting particularly where it was like a lot of this film is pretty and you can look at nice things but when it comes to this scene it's like you want to focus on adam goodley very specifically because he's telling you you are going to die yeah um in the same way that uh his first chalkboard when he's doing his first theory is super mm, clean it's beautiful as though it's never been used how many chalkboards did we get to in the end i clocked 14 uh we decided to count chalkboards as we went i'm sure there were more there but, must have been more than that but i counted well they the chalkboards as soon as he leaves university chalkboards go into a recession there was a real decline in chalkboards yeah. in the family scenes i'll be honest <laughs> it's interesting watching it again i like i mean before today i would i would give it like a nine out of ten mm. i think it slipped to an eight out of ten for me so i just had this realization um for me, narratively, the last third really lacks a driving force. Mm. I think once he publishes his brief history of time, we lose a sense of, like, what's next? Like, for me, in narrative, it's always like, what's next? What is he going to do? What is he going up against? What is he trying to achieve? And from there, it becomes a little bit like they could go anywhere. Mm. And, and yeah. I mean, I love it. I still love it. And it's so beautifully written. Um, 
but it's just interesting. I just want to throw that out there. Okay, no, no. Well, we, I mean, it was about time to go to the schools, so you feel 8 out of 10? I give it, um, yeah, 8 out of 10 black holes. Fair enough. In my heart. Um, Sarah, as a first-time viewer for this film, what would you give The Theory of Everything out of 10? Uh, out of 10 chalkboards, I'd give it 8 as well. Mm. Yeah, I, it, it feels about that. It's... It's a fine film. I don't think it's one I'm going to watch again in any hurry. Not because I didn't enjoy it, but just because I have seen it. And I'll reflect on the story and I'll ruminate and it will, you know, be be present in the mind for, for a while, I'm sure. Um, but I don't know if it's necessarily something I'm going to go rush back and see. I'd probably give it uh, seven and a half theories out of ten everythings would be, would be my score. Um, and that, that pretty much brings it to the end. So... Um, Scott and Sarah, thank you very much for joining me on this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Thanks for having us. No worries. And uh, thank you very much for all of you listening uh, to this very special edition. Uh, A bit of a change from our usual programming, but obviously um, with Stephen Hawking's passing, it it just sort of felt appropriate to use this as an opportunity to reflect on um, a pretty seminal person's life. Um, So He did good science. Yeah, he scienced well. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to listen to more, uh, we have an entire back catalogue. In fact, if I've remembered this correctly, this episode comes out the day before our first birthday. Woo! So we have... Happy birthday. We you can have, listen to me on both of them. We have cake. Uh, I might have some cake. Wonderful. Uh, (laughs) I will mail a slice of cake to each of our 26 different guests that we've had this this first year. Uh, So if you want to listen to the previous year worth of content, uh, you can find us on iTunes or on SoundCloud and download it all from there. Uh, We are also on Facebook. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club there for more information, particularly regarding uh, our upcoming April uh, trilogy of films, which will have been announced on the page by now. And uh, for more information, you can also visit thoughtjarproductions.com. And there's a Patreon, because I almost forgot that. There's patreon.com forward slash CCUC podcast if you want to become an official member and uh, get some extra bonus goodies. Do you mind if I uh, I read my favourite Stephen Hawking's quote? You know I what? Saved it on my phone, so I just wanted to go back to that the other day. I think that would be a lovely way to close us out. So, finishing the podcast, please listen to Scott McArdle read out his favourite Stephen Hawking quote. Goodbye, everyone. Remember to look up at the stars and not down at your feet. Try to make sense of what you see and wonder about what makes the universe exist. Be curious, and however difficult life may seem. There is always something you can do and succeed at. It matters that you don't just give up. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com